Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist, to focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Hey everyone, and welcome to this Mother's Day episode of the Feelin' Film Podcast. I'm Aaron, and back from a trip to Canada last week is my best friend and co-host Patch. Hey guys! So, if Patrick starts talking funny, now you'll know why. This well, week, I always talk funny, but this is a good excuse to do so. Oh, you know. no. Is I this... won't do it. I okay. promise. I won't do it. Well, this week we wanted to catch up with a film that we missed covering when it came out. Um, that's something that we're going to try and do throughout each year since we do miss some films. We'll try to sprinkle some of those into our open weeks that aren't in the theater in the year following that. And this week we wanted to... Uh, catch up with one of the best movies of 2017 that really does fit perfectly on this day and makes it a point to celebrate moms everywhere. Before we jump into discussing Lady Bird, we do have a couple quick announcements. The first one is that our donor pick has been chosen by our patron supporters. We did theme of baseball movies for May, and the winning choice was The Sandlot, which I know that my co-host is going to be very excited about. It was the one that he threw his votes into the pot for as well. I did not really have a dog in this fight. Now, that's not because I don't love baseball. I definitely love baseball, especially when Arkansas wins its first series against LSU for the first time in like nine years. I don't know when that would have happened. Maybe maybe last weekend. Maybe this weekend. Yeah, maybe we're better than you this year, I guess. So I'm not going to rub that in. I like baseball. <laughs> but baseball movies, I have not fallen in love with a ton of them um, i'm really excited to revisit the sandlot patrick because i don't remember anything about it so if i've seen it yeah i i don't even couldn't even tell you for sure that i have well all the movies that were on the slate were definitely worthy to talk about but the sandlot holds a special place in my heart it's one that i will put on traditionally at the start of baseball season but since the podcast has started i've kind of held off because i was hoping that it would become part of the schedule in some way, shape, or form. And so it makes me happy to see that it's a donor pick. And I know that a lot of people really enjoy it. So I'm hoping that we can do it justice with our conversation. At the very least, it'll be really fun to get my annual watch in for that. So heck yeah. We also want to make sure that you know that our patrons bonus content episode this month will be a Q&A where we answer listener questions. Everyone who submits a question will also be entered into a drawing for a giveaway of a 12-month pro upgrade for a Letterboxd account. We're big fans of the site, and Pro brings with it some excellent additional features. Aaron, I know you take advantage of those. So if you want to submit questions, there's a pinned thread on our Feelin' Film Facebook discussion group, and you can leave them there, or if you're a patron, you can send them to us through that site. If you're interested in becoming a patron, helping choose these monthly episodes, and having access to all of our bonus content, Visit patreon.com slash film to find out how. All right, announcement's done. This is your spoiler warning. Again, movie came out recently, 2017, but it's worth mentioning that we're going to talk heavily about this movie because it's really worth talking about. So there's your warning. Here we go. One word takeaways. Aaron, take it away. All right. Well, for my one word takeaway, I came out of this movie feeling like it was very authentic. The word authentic means made in a way that faithfully resembles an original. And if we substitute the word original here for first-time director Greta Gerwig's experiences growing up in Sacramento, 
then this love letter to her city is very much authentic, I think. It feels real. It feels natural. It feels relatable to everyone who's gone through high school, as far as I can tell, and specifically so probably to those who are raised in that area. I talked to a friend of mine who, like Gerwig, actually grew up nearby where Lady Bird is set, and I watched this movie with her, and she was having all kinds of nostalgia waves rushing over her as it played. She was noting locations and talking about the tone and how that's exactly what it was like for her when she was a young kid. So to that effect, I think Gerwig succeeded in what her intent was in making Lady Bird in a huge way. The characters and their actions are also very authentic to me, never really feeling over-dramatized, but rather perfectly observed as if we were watching hidden cameras follow them throughout their days. I love this movie. I love, love, love this movie. It makes me laugh, makes me cry, and it makes me remember my own hometown experience growing up. So yeah, Lady Bird's a big win, and it's very authentic. I would have to agree. Authentic is a fantastic word, and I think it bleeds itself into a lot of the a lot of the themes and things that are explored throughout Gerwig's narrative. Attention was the word that I pulled from this. And as I was watching this, this was an opportunity I had while I was on the plane for, you know, 15 hours or whatever. I had a lot of opportunities to watch movies. And so this was the last one, the last leg of my flight. And the thing that I noticed was the amount of attention that is dedicated to a movie that is just over 90 minutes. There is a lot that happens in this movie, which is incredibly surprising. And I found myself saying, okay, if I look away, if I'm reaching for my pretzels, or if I'm looking out the window, I'm going to miss something. Because it seems like we move from scene to scene without any kind of like indication, hey, we're moving on now. And not only is there a tension that I, as an observer, as a as an audience, need to be a part of. But there's also careful attention being paid to what you talk about, that authenticity, those little snapshots, moments that don't feel like they fit together, but they actually do when the narrative is pulled together as a whole. We get a complete story, but if we were to pull out a scene or two here and there, those are almost like little snippets of, of Lady Bird's life. Like, okay, here's a part of her life that has to do with a relationship with her mom. Here's a part of her life that has to do with something going on at school with the play. And I think that that really adds to that authenticity that you mentioned of what it's like to be a teenager, that our attention span as teenagers was like always here and then there and then here and then there. I mean, you remember high school, maybe you do. I barely remember it. But the one thing I do remember is how quick it felt, how what felt like drama in the moment was really just sort of like a quick turn, like blink and you miss it. Your senior year's here and like, whoa, what just happened? And I feel like Lady Bird does that in its structure and in, in its narrative. I feel like Gerwig gives us that ability to capture what it looks like to be kind of paying attention to this immediate thing and then that immediate thing. Because I think like as a teenager, we feel like what's happening right now is the most important thing of our entire and life. Exactly. And that, that can change sometimes literally in an instant, week to week, month to month, year to year. And I'm sure we get that as adults, but it's a lot more drawn out. And these coming of age movies, especially the ones that take place in high school, which I'm always going to confess I'm a fan of, 
add that. They, they really kind of highlight those pieces and parts of like, this is a part of the life that I gravitate towards. And this is a part of her life that somebody else would gravitate towards. And it's probably really challenging to pull all those pieces together and create a complete narrative. I found myself enjoying this a whole lot more this time around. And I liked it a lot the first time, but as I, as I just enjoyed it for the podcast, I was like, man, this is really good. And it, and it almost surprised me. Yeah, I, I'm right there with you, man. Like the first time that I watched this, I was floored by it and thought it was really phenomenal, but not to the level of its praise where people were calling it the best movie of that year. They were petitioning it for, you know, promoting it for being the best picture at the Oscars. And I was not quite to that level at the time. But when I've dug into it more on subsequent watches, it feels like every time I watch it, I connect with it even more deeply. And that's a special movie that you can grow with and that, that actually gets better over time. Um, and it's not one that is getting better over time, like a sci-fi film where it's because you're gaining understanding of the plot and things like that, or discovering new pieces of it. It's just, it's like you get to know these characters more and more, the more time you spend with them and you just, then you care about them even more deeply than you already did. Right. You're capturing those relationships on a deeper level with each watch and that authenticity. I want to, I want to kind of hang on that for a little bit because I think that's a, a major part of what makes Ladybird work. And it really kind of raises the question that, that I want to begin the conversation by asking about the film itself. Do you feel like it gives a, an accurate portrayal of this parent child relationship that we see with Lady Bird and her mom, or even her dad? Or do you think like it's playing for more drama or entertainment? Well, yes, is the answer. <laughs> I think it is both. Look, everybody didn't have the same experiences growing up. We know that. Your relationship with your parents was different than my relationship with my parents in ways. In other ways, it was very much the same. Um, not everybody had a dad who would joke about kicking his friends out of the room so he could have sex with his mom while they were at a sleepover, like my dad would do, right? That's not a normal thing for everybody. But So everybody has these different experiences. But as someone who does relate to what Lady Bird's relationship with her mom was like, I don't think that it's an isolated experience. And I think that even if in high school people didn't necessarily have this experience for a long period of time that there might be smaller moments where they had this experience um, a specific related to a specific event in life, maybe for like a six month period of time or, you know, something just on a smaller scale. Um, for me, I did go through this with my mom. My mom was incredibly loving, incredibly kind, incredibly compassionate, but we were both very stubborn and very hard headed. And there would come a time when we would, but heads. There's a couple scenes in this movie that really speak to the same relationship that I had with my mom, where the opening of this movie, Lady Bird and her mom are driving down the highway. It's like the memorable scene from the trailer, even. And they're listening to the graves are at, and they're both into it. They're both crying, and they're totally having that emotional connective moment that they both share. And then it ends, and they turn off the radio and Lady Bird's like, let's put on the music. And the mom's like, no, I just want to sit in silence. And we all know 
from being in high school. Like, we can't do that. Silence is like a killer. Like, we don't want that. We've got to be going. Our brains need something. And so what happens? An argument starts. And they literally transition from sharing an emotional experience together to fighting in the matter of seconds to the point where she jumps out of the car, which is hilarious, of course. And Greta Gerwig's ability to shift between those things in this movie is brilliant. And that's why she got so much praise as a first-time director. So that scene spoke to me. It was like that reminded me of what it was like with my mom. My dad would have to play mediator a lot of times. He'd be like, you don't understand how much your mom is hurt by this because, you know, you know, she's trying to maintain the course of, of your life and, and she cares so much about you and you need to recognize that. And I'm like, well, no, I don't need to recognize that. I don't, you know, I, I, I respect her and we would have these arguments. And so whether it's a relationship with your mom or with your dad, I think most people can kind of put themselves in a spot to remember a relationship with one of their parents that was like what Ladybird had. Yeah. And what I think we have from Ladybird as a character is that real sense of awkward teenagerness so and trying awkward. to find and trying to and trying to find out really who you are. It's interesting because there's a lot of stuff that's juxtaposed against each other. She's a very assertive woman or girl woman. <laughs> She's a very assertive character in that she has no problem standing up to her mom, confronting different people, you know, going up to a grocery in a grocery store and talking to a boy that she might like and being just very assertive. But at the same time, she emits this awkward teenagerness because she doesn't look like the other girls that go to this Catholic school. She's not pretty. And I'm putting that in air quotes. This is not a judgment. This is really the portrayal. She looks she doesn't fit in that world that I think she tries to be a part of or that she desires to be a part of. But at the same time, she's kind of independent and it's really refreshing to see someone who is comfortable in her skin of awkwardness, if that makes sense. And that's what I wanted to be in high school. I was not that guy. I was, you're looking at me like maybe that's not the case. (laughs) (laughs) I'm looking at you like that. If I was awkward, I wasn't comfortable in that sense. You know, I would, and what I would do is like her, I would go out for the drama club and I would put myself on stage and act a fool and play various characters. It's where a lot of my impressions come from. And when people hear me talk, they're like, you don't sound like you're from Arkansas. It's like, because I got rid of my Southern accent when I did theater. But for me, that was how I combated my awkwardness. But I never really felt like I fit into a group necessarily in my high school. You and this other group of individuals that we connected with at church called the Tap Brotherhood, that was my group. And I think we were all kind of misfits in some way, shape, or form. I don't know that we had – maybe Matt's the kind of the outlier of of cool – but I think all of us were kind of... And the only one that went to Catholic school, ironically. Yeah, uh-huh. ironically, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like Lady Bird as a, as, a, as a story gives us an accurate portrayal of what it means to feel awkward, but also to feel confidently awkward. And I, I appreciate that. I feel like I can kind of hold a flag next to her and say, yes, that's who I wanted to be. And maybe that's who I was, but I just didn't see myself that way. 
And I love that Gerwig is just saying, I'm writing what I know. This was who I was growing up. And I'm grateful that people liked seeing it portrayed on the big screen. Ironically, if she was being personified through Lady Bird, wow, what a great way to be vulnerable about your life as a teenager in Sacramento. I think that says a lot about her as a person, but equally as much about her as a director and a writer. And so I think that when you talk about parent parental relationships, I had a good relationship with my parents. They weren't as awkward <laughs> as your parents. Although I think the awkwardness of your parents really kind of made me feel, <laughs> you know, it was kind of a kind of a tertiary thing with all of us. You know? Yeah, I know. <laughs> Which was nice. I mean, it was actually kind of a nice little, I know for you it was terrible, but for us it was like, well, these are some different kinds of parents. We're not used to this. <laughs> <laughs> but I had, I had that inability to communicate and communicate effectively. And I think it really manifested itself when I got into college, when I started kind of coming into my own and understanding, oh, okay, yes, what I thought was just kind of like ambivalence was really me not being able to communicate with my parents in a way that said, Hey, I don't agree with what you're doing. And so coincidentally, it came after I left high school that I understood, yeah, we didn't quite agree on everything. And, and, and that was kind of a revelation for me. Yeah. Shocking how growing up you actually start to understand things better. Wow. Right. Isn't that just amazing? Mind blown. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a big part of the inability to communicate with, her parents is she doesn't have all the information. Her mom's not telling her everything. And her mom, frankly, is not communicating with her in a way that is clear and, and detailed either. She's not saying, this is why I feel this way about you. And this is why her mom's responding in kind snarkily at times. And just kind of in a way that a lot of parents do where we want to just, just do what I say, just understand that I have your best interest at heart. And listen to me, right? Don't make me sit here and like explain it all out to you. She doesn't want to tell her about her dad's troubles and things like that at the beginning. And so I think when everybody's on edge and you're unwilling to sit down and come to the table, vulnerable, both of you to get into the middle, it can, it can easily go this way when somebody's in high school going through the life changes that we do in high school and the non understanding of who we are and trying to navigate day-to-day life with goodness gracious ever changing circumstances around you from literally like first period to third period your entire world seems like it could be altered Um, it's a big deal and your parents don't have that going on so they're expecting a lot more consistency and it can be pretty divisive and cause a lot of frustration and i think that's really where it comes from Um, and, and the challenge for parents is to bring yourself to a place where you're willing to, I think, engage with your kids on their level and on their terms, no matter what ages they are. And also, I think approaching this awkward phase of high school, at least what I'm going into it with, you know, and I I have high schoolers now, I have a 16 year old, a 14 year old. I'm just trying to keep in mind grace as much as I can. And it's hard, man. I I will tell you, it is so difficult for me. But my daughter's signing up for college classes and starting next year as a flipping 11th grader. She's going to be in college, literally going to the college and not the high school anymore. And I wanted to be like, well, no, you need to think about the timing of your classes and make sure that 
you're able to get these bus stops lined up and all this. And her mom's like, no, you need to let her do this. She needs to be in charge of making these choices and taking these steps. And she needs this independence. And so Lady Bird displays that. It's a, a parent who's struggling to let go and let her child be independent and a child who desperately is fighting to be independent, but not necessarily quite ready to be either. It's, it's that, oh, it, it just captures it so well. It does. And it really begins with her wanting independence by changing her name and wanting to be called Lady Bird, which is where we get the title of the film. And I think that that's trying to, I think that's a, that's an attempt to be a win for Christine, who we'll just affectionately call Lady Bird for the rest of the movie or for the rest of the conversation, because one, it's easier. And two, let's respect her. Come on. That's what she wants. Um, but I think for her, it's the best way that she can not just win an argument, but to really grasp onto something that she can own fully because there's so much happening in her life that she can't fully own those pieces and parts because of that rapid change that as a teenager, she's going through from day to day stuff to week to week stuff. She wants that one piece of constant thing in her life. And that's a name and it's a name that she gives herself. And of course you and I, we love talking about the power of names. We've done it so many times in different conversations and, and this movie is no different. And so I'm wondering what, is so important and empowering about using the name Ladybird. Well, it's something that I actually find hard to relate to because it's not something I ever would think of as anything important to me personally. But when I see Ladybird and her character develop, I take it as this aspect of her life that she had no control over that she is able to sort of try and exert some control over. She mentions it at one point in the film, how, you know, I think it's toward the end and she's talking to the guy in college and she's talking about, you know, it's weird that we let our parents give us these names and we, we go our entire lives by a name that our parents gave us, but we don't believe in God. And she's trying to make it this big philosophical thing. But for her, it is, it's very impactful that she had no say in this piece of her identity that goes with her, right? And as part of her independence, I see it as her fighting against being defined by somebody else. She's defined by the college, not sorry, she's defined by the high school, the Catholic school that she goes to. She's supposed to be a certain way because she's at that school. She's defined by her name that her parents gave her. She's trying to take some of that power back, so to speak. And own it. At least that's what I get out of her. And I would never have thought in a million years changing my name. I think that, again, is another brilliant piece of this film and, and Gerwig's movie making is to approach the story from that way because it's something that not everybody would have done. Although you go by a nickname that you largely um, accepted and adopted yourself. So I, I don't really know... If, I mean, maybe you have an insight into why that's important to you as related to how it was important to her, but it's not something that I experienced. That's just what I observe from the outside. Yeah, I, I don't think there's any meaning behind the name Lady Bird. I think it's the giving of the name to herself where the importance come from. 
I had a job a few years ago. Um, in between, I, I call it my, I call it my uh, sabbatical from the job that I have now because I left for about nine months to pursue something else. And at the job that I have now, I'm known as Patch. It's in my email, so it's official. And my, my team, that's what they call me. People at, you know, my boss and everybody, they all call me that. My wife calls me that. When I left, I went to another company and I tried to get people, i.e. my new boss, to call me that. And her words to me were, I didn't hire a seven-year-old. <laughs> oh my gosh. And it, it frustrated me. Now she's got a sarcastic wit to her and I had to learn how to kind of match swords with her. I had to duel a little bit to kind of earn her respect and that's a whole different story. But I took some offense to that and I started asking myself why. And it has to do with the fact that I have become and grown into that name. I'm not defined by that name. I define that name by who I am. And so when people talk to Patrick, they're talking about the guy in high school. They're talking about the guy who is getting a quote for new shelving. <laughs> um, it's my doctor calls me that. But the people who know me, and know a part of my life that I feel like is really important. The parts of my life that actually matter the most to me are attached to that name, Patch. Now, I'm not going to be a stickler and say, no, you will call me Patch. I'm not going to do that to anybody. And there are times when, for instance, at this soiree that my wife and I attended, I introduced myself as Patrick. My wife then corrected me and says, but we call him Patch. And so there's a sense of pride that comes with not only being given that name, but also what that name means and the history behind it. And what I felt like when I was sort of patronized by that comment. Patronized? Patronized. <laughs> it was really more about, if I'm, if I'm thinking psychologically, it was as if she was trying to take my identity away and give me something else. Which is what Lady Bird's mom is doing to her. Exactly. But, but from a place of pride in that she gave the name exactly and i think that's where this real interesting tension is in that opening sequence because we don't really know who to side with because i'm a parent and i kind of side with her mom and i'm like let's just we've just experienced something incredibly emotional together and you're now saying i'm gonna flip it over and catch the latest you know whatever song let's just listen she's like no 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 let's just sit in this and what you brought up earlier is it brings out all this tension that was there. It's just being fueled by this small little thing. And then when she starts calling her Christine, she says, no, call me Ladybird. You said you would call me Ladybird. Now you've got this battle between two people who are trying to maintain an identity of a person. And I think this is a really incredible metaphor that I don't know if Gerwig is doing this intentionally, but if she is fantastic and if not fantastic, you have two people. One is trying to hold on to who she understands her daughter to be. And one is trying to reinvent herself in who she wants to be without a roadmap. So you have this future of, I want to move to New York 
and get out of Sacramento, call me Ladybird, cut against the tension of a mom who says, no, you're going to play it safe. You're going to stay away from the school that has stabbings and you're going to go to City College and your name is Christine. I think all of that is wrapped up in that small conversation. And of course, we get that one moment, like you mentioned, that reminds me of Crazy Stupid Love, where she just throws herself out of the car. And I think that begins not only a hilarious way to start a movie, but also to create this great relationship um, story between Lady Bird and her mom. And I think Greta does, I'm gonna call her Greta because, you know, we're friends now, apparently. And I think Gerwig, I think she does a fantastic job of pairing characters in this movie that we can not only relate to, but enjoy seeing on screen. Usually it's Lady Bird and someone else, but sometimes it's other pairings like her brother and, and sister-in-law, which I think is just a hilarious little kind of sidebar relationship that I love seeing. Like I love the, the scene when, when she's in the grocery store reading the magazine and her brother's just getting all pissed at her, like don't read it if you're not going to buy it. And, mm -hmm. and then <laughs> they're coming like, you know, your brother's uh, wife, girlfriend looks eerily like, is starting to look more like him. And she's like, yeah, you're probably right. I, I love those pairings. But I want to talk a little bit about some of the relationships with Lady Bird and how she connects to them. Let's talk about her relationship with her dad. Here we have a a guy who reminds me a lot of... Nadine's relationship with her dad in The Edge of Seventeen. Not necessarily a cool guy, but someone who supports, who plays kind of the the good cop to the mom's bad cop, but in a way that's not necessarily intentional. And we see a, a an interesting kind of 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 love there. How does his relationship with her differ with her mom with regards to that? Well, I think that a lot of people experience this, like we were saying, where regardless of the dynamic of which parent is which, it can feel like good cop, bad cop at times. There's a parent that is usually more aggressively pushing the children to do a certain thing, and then a parent that might be more laid back. And it might be the parent that gets come to when the child wants comfort from dealing with the harsher parent. So our relationship with my kids, my my ex-wife and I, is the opposite. So I'm the one that is more apt to be like, rawr, 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 why did you do that? Why are you carrying around pencils? You're crazy. And she's the one to be like, oh, your dad just, he loves you. He just thinks the best of you and doesn't want you to fall and stab yourself. You know, like what I mean? So like, there's almost always going to be this dynamic, I feel like. It's just a matter of which one it is. And so in this one, her dad is that comfort. Her dad is soft-spoken, he's quiet, he's clearly more of a internal thinker. We see this play out with the way that he secretly picks up the letters uh, from his from her mom and ends up providing those to her in the end. He's very thoughtful, he, he gets her the cell phone when her mom doesn't want to engage. He tries to broker the peace sometimes, but he also clearly has shown to have probably had some battles that he's lost. And so there's time, there's that great scene where the mom is 
kind of going off on her and he's playing solitaire at the computer and she's like pay attention and i'm just like that's me i'm trying to check out right there like i don't want to be a part of this just you know and you can tell like it you really get the impression that he's been through this before and he just doesn't want to get involved because he he's afraid of that you know and he knows he'll go in there later and bring her a cupcake i believe it was or whatever the case maybe some ice cream i forgot what he brings her but he's the comforter he's that that one who who smooths things over and he tells her he says i know you know your mom loves you He's always trying to remind her of that. And so I love this. And I, and I, I hope that in some regard, every kid is able to have parents that combined exhibit these traits because there's value in what her mom wants for her. It's coming from a place of absolute goodness. Yeah. Here's what's interesting about the relationship with, with her mom and dad is that her dad never comes across as being against her mom. Absolutely not. And I think that that's probably one of the healthiest things that I've ever seen in any kind of relationship is two people who have different approaches, but love their child. But let's take it one step further, love each other enough to support one another. I would imagine that if it came down to mom and dad, having to make a decision that dad would support mom and mom would support dad in whatever that decision was with regard to their child. I'm that way with, with my wife. I'm, I'm not the fun dad. I guess I am the fun dad. I'm more laid back when it comes to how my son is handled. I mean, I discipline him for sure, but I'm okay with letting him kind of run in the street here and there or, you know, walk around in the grocery store, even though I've got eyes on him because he wants to be independent. You're shaking your head. Now it sounds yeah. like I'm a bad guy. I'm the bad, I'm, I'm the opposite. Yeah. And, and, and that's, but that's a good thing because it makes me wonder or maybe even affirm the fact that having parents that can be both, even though one parent does one thing and another parent does another, where you're not driven by a singular parent, even in the case of of a, a relationship where the parents are divorced, they're still supporting one another in terms of how they handle the relationships with their kids. I don't think that her dad and mom ever had that tension where they felt like they were going to split up. That never seemed like something on the table. Like it was never going to be a factor. The tension that they have in their relationship is normal. And I think that what Gerwig does is she says, this is what healthy parental relationships look like in spite of or in support of the fact that they disagree. Living in that tension is a good thing. And I was encouraged to see that on the screen because it reminded me, hey, duh, my wife and I don't agree on everything. Well, that's kind of a given. But even when it comes to how we discipline my son, even if it comes down to maybe letting him stay up later or having that extra piece of candy. Is that going to be bad or good? She may not like that. I may not care about that, but at least we're finding a place where we can compromise as parents, where we can say, look, let me have this. This isn't a battle worth fighting. Let him have that. And on other things we're together on, there's a great moment with them where they're in the bathroom. And at one point she, 
her mom is talking to her dad and she says, do you think Miguel and his girlfriend have sex on the pullout couch? And he goes, oh yeah, for sure. I love that. I love that kind of candidness. And they start laughing. Healthy relationships have that, that ability to kind of see the world around them, see some of the reality and laugh about those things. And yes, there are great moments of tension, but I don't ever see those moments of tension leading to a break of some kind. And that tells me that as disjointed as Lady Bird's relationship is with her mom and as kind of great or whatever her relationship is with her dad, I think without both of them, she'd be a mess. And I think that this this narrative shows us that she needs both. She needs to have both relationships, both relationships with her parents and their relationship with each other in order to thrive ultimately in what she's trying to do with her life. Yeah, totally agree with all that. And and to your point about giving your child a win, I mean, that's ultimately what the Thanksgiving thing is. You know, her mom allows her to go to Thanksgiving with Danny, even though she clearly is hurt by it. And ultimately, Lady Bird reluctantly says to them later, she's like, no, I need to stay home because I left for Thanksgiving. So I need to give my mom this thing for Christmas, even though she doesn't necessarily want to. It's like they both are experiencing some of that give and take that's built into their nature. Yeah. And to me, I think that's healthy and it's good to see that and to have the comedy kind of surrounding it to help give us that that digestion. And over the course of the movie, Lady Bird starts aligning herself first with her best friend, Julie, and then hot girl, Jenna, <laughs> who drives a Range Rover that she shouldn't be driving because she's not going to go off-roading or anything like that. And then finally, back to Julie. And again, 94 minutes, man. And we go through like this huge arc, what could have been a movie in and of itself, right? It's yeah, I mean, it's amazing. To your point of like over or overly dramatized, that's when I when I just said yes to your question at the beginning. This does show us a whole bunch of different aspects of a potential high school life kind of condensed into this one year of Ladybird's life. But despite the fact that it does that, it's also not wholly unrealistic that this could all occur within a year. So it's kind of both. Like it does it for dramatic effect by giving us a lot of different things to experience. But at the same time, it's totally believable. It is. And I think because Gerwig trims the fat, she doesn't linger on a lot of stuff. She gives us kind of the the meat of each scene that's important. She And this is done with really great writing. So it feels like every scene in and of itself has some importance to push the story, but also to elevate the scene that the dialogue is being spoken in. And I think that when you trim that kind of fat, you don't have to linger. You can trust your audience to say, okay, I get what's happening here. And so we see that arc of her going from Julie, then Jenna, and finally back to Julie. And it really feels authentic. It feels like this is the life of a girl who is not only trying to find out who she is, but finding out who she really aligns with. Does she see value in Julie and then Jenna and then Julie? And it makes me wonder why she makes this shift back and forth beyond just popularity. Did you see anything else besides just wanting to be popular with this kind of shift? Um, You know, I think 
that that's mostly what it revolves around. There is a progression that occurs in her character, and there's a value you start to feel when people that you place value on, even if it's not necessarily worthy of that, start to give you attention. And I think that she wants to experience things and be thought of differently. And so that is an avenue to get that to occur. Uh, and Julie is very much comfortable in her own skin. And she's not as awkward as Lady Bird is, which is telling, right? Because she's perfectly fine being the smarty pants kid of the group. And she's perfectly fine being the drama kid of the group. I actually found her relationship with Julie pretty disturbing and off-putting this time around, watching it for the first part of the film. When Julie talks about her selfishness, I kind of started to hone in on Lady Bird's actions, and my goodness, man, everything she does is about her. Every single choice, every single conversation, she's that person who she may be talking to her best friend, but she does the one-upmanship type concept where if Julie's talking, she redirects the conversation to be about her. You know, Julie calls her out and she's like, listen, like I wanted to be the lead because it's important to me. And Lady Bird's like, yeah, but I need to get close to Danny. Like it's always shifted no matter what they're talking about. And, and I really noted it this time. And I thought, you know, they don't have a true good friendship until the end because Lady Bird is kind of taking advantage of Julie. And, and I think that's what probably makes it easier for her to make that shift is because she has not recognized the value in Julie yet. Um, and she's taking her for granted. And then eventually once she goes and becomes friends with Jenna and she starts to experience it for herself and she realizes, Oh crap, you know, I want somebody who's going to treat me with the same way that Julie treated me. And now I understand that I need to treat that person the same way in order for that relationship to work. Yeah, there's this really poignant moment after Jenna finds out where Lady Bird really lives. And there's that scene in the kitchen where <laughs> she is, she, you know, Lady Bird's pouring her heart out and saying, I'm so sorry. I didn't, you know, I lied. I'm sorry. I lied. And she's like, and Jenna's like, yeah, you did. And it sucks. And I couldn't remember from watching it the first time if she walked away, if she said, yeah, don't do that. But I think it it reminds me of um, I guess it was another movie that we watched where where that happened. Anyway, but Lady Bird does that, and Jenna just starts popping on her phone, you know, checking her Instagram or whatever. And Lady Bird says, "So are we still friends?" And she goes, "Well, I guess. I mean, you're going out with Kyle." And yeah. I was like, "Oh my god!" It, it is an instant shift, and what's what really caught me in that scene to be honest is that she brings it up and she's like clearly thrown off jenna is by the fact that she lives across the tracks and that da, da, da. and then but she says to ladybird she says yeah but what's worse is that you lied about it which was interesting to me because we i think are initially putting jenna in a box she's the character that we can't stand who is snobby and rich and yada 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 but 
there's a character trait there to be admired that she's more concerned with the fact that Ladybird lied. And the moment that she finds that out, she she does, man. She shuts down in an instant. And it is heartbreaking. But at the same time, you have sympathy or understanding for that because you're like, she's right. Like, she did get lied to. So I guess, in theory, she should be reacting kind of poorly. It reminds me a lot of a moment in Unicorn Store where our understanding of a particular character gets turned on its head because of that exact same thing. How that person who we see as one way comes across with this bit of integrity that we didn't expect. And she says, I don't like liars. I would never do that. And then the way in which she continues the conversation by being so just nonchalant about the relationship I almost and I'm not fully convinced but I almost feel like that was her defense mechanism like if we could do a little kind of switcheroo and see things from Jenna's point of view and feel any kind of emotion that she might have felt maybe that was her way of switching off the relationship saying hey we were connected at one point that's a deal breaker so now I'm just gonna put you at arm's length and now you're just gonna be kind of a tertiary friendship and by saying, yeah, you're still going out with Kyle, so I guess we can still hang out. That's brutal because now Lady Bird is just part of the crew. She's not significant to her at all. It's also exactly how high school relationships work, unfortunately. It's why we have to be real careful and observe our kids and their attitudes and what they're going through emotionally. Because, I mean, not to get all dour and stuff, but like kids who commit suicide or go into the, you know, really dark places because they're getting bullied or they're dealing with these relationships issues in school. This is how they happen because you put your self-worth in the hands of someone who you are earning it by doing things completely out of your character. And then they can change on a dime and leave you feeling completely alone and helpless and this is a microcosm of that that we see in that scene there. And we get both sides for a moment, which most of the time, if we're experiencing that, if we're on the receiving end, we're not seeing it from the from the giver's end. But maybe something's happening underneath the surface of that person that gets them to say that to us. Or maybe we are that person and we don't realize just what a blow that is to that person how important our friendship with that person is, whether it's for status or whether it's for some kind of worth. I think that high school relationships are really about living in a place of oblivion of like people are just oblivious to other people's lives and cares. I mean, it's really about, are you going to the football game? Who are you taking to prom? Hey, what are you doing here? Do you have my notes from from chemistry? It's it's really about selfishness. It's about what can life do for me and how do I protect myself from the high school world? And I think that we get both of those things in Lady Bird. We get the how can my world serve me to make me better? And how can I protect myself from those things that will make things worse? And I think that plays itself out in this really interesting 
set of relationships that she has with these these two guys where you have two distinctly different individuals in Danny and Kyle. And again, it's a surprising thing to see yet another set of relationships or romantic relationships inside less, you know, less than, you know, a little over an hour and a half of a, of a movie. What kind of authenticity is shown in those two relationships between Danny and, and Kyle? Well, this is where I was saying the dramaticness of it kind of starts to play in because the odds of this happening, I don't know what they are, but you know, it's, it's played up to happen all within a year. Uh, I see this as Kyle and Danny are very similar. She is drawn to both of them because of their popularity. Kyle may be popular in a different crowd. I'm sorry. Danny may be popular in a different crowd. He's in, he's popular in the drama crowd, in the smart crowd. Kyle is popular in the hoodlum crowd. I don't know what to call them. I don't know what to call them. The kids that don't care about school and seem to just, you know, the, the, I don't know what to call it's them. A it's a greaser and a socia. Yeah, okay. there you, you go. That's like a that. much better way to put it. Um, you know, but he has these interesting qualities. He's a, he's emo and he's a reader and he's into literature and art and all this stuff. There's actually good qualities about Kyle. Another thing I love about this movie, the authenticity of the relationships. They are not painted as totally worthless people. Like this, Kyle is not a villain, right? Kyle is a person that you might actually experience in high school that probably isn't a good fit for Ladybird, but he's not necessarily a terrible guy in all regards. The same thing with Danny. Danny's arc is pretty heartbreaking. Because he's going through this situation where he can't be himself either, which sort of parallels Ladybird in a lot of ways. He's trying to find his identity. He talks in, and one of my favorite scenes was almost um, a connecting point for me is him coming to her when he's broken down after getting discovered by her in the bathroom, right? And he is just crying into her arms. And, and I love that she shifts gears at that point and comforts him. And she's like mad at him, but then she shifts and she realizes that he's hurting. And he tells her, like, I can't tell my parents this. I don't know what to do. And it becomes a totally different situation. And I think going through that relationship brings growth to her, even if it's not immediately. I think it has long-term value in her life. Um, because she does recognize his pain and she, she learns what it's like to be there for someone, even when it's non-selfish related. Like it's just a matter of giving of yourself in that moment. Here's what I think is great about her character is that she gives us insight into characters, people we probably knew in high school, people that exist that we wouldn't have understood otherwise. And I think it's that exposure that also allows her to see some of her faults. You mentioned that Kyle is not a villain. Neither is Jenna, for that matter. So that's challenging because we want to put them in boxes. We want to make Kyle be the the teen angst bad boy that she shouldn't be running around with, whereas Danny is more like, hey, he's the guy. He's the one. 
And there's irony that exists because Danny is trying to hide something where Kyle is not. Kyle is incredibly blunt. And there's a lot of places where we get challenged because of the way that she interacts with each of these different relationships. Like she helps expose the the honesty about who they are, a little bit more substance about who they are and rounds them out. It's like if Lady Bird didn't exist, well, we wouldn't have this movie, but if she didn't exist as a character, then we wouldn't be able to see or care about these other characters that coincidentally she's trying to use to satisfy some of her own selfishness, right? And so when we look at Danny and we see like, we're rooting for him. We're rooting for them. They love each other. They've got Bruce in the sky that they connect with. And then she goes to the bathroom and she sees him making out with another guy, which is a big shocker from a narrative standpoint. But the ramifications that that takes takes on, it's not just that he was keeping a secret from her. It's that he's also dealing with some awkwardness and trying to figure out who he is, as you mentioned, and she's trying to figure out, well, where's his genuineness? Who is he really? And so now that complicates her world. But I think you're right. Both of these guys challenge who she is, and they do it in ways that are that are very uncomfortable because they're forcing her to have to own up to some of the stuff that she doesn't want to deal with. The fact that she's got flaws. and Gerwig as a whole takes these characters and really kind of turns them on their heads and says, well, what if we gave this characteristic to this, to this person? What if we made Kyle this? What if we made Danny this? I'm almost just picturing her in the writer's room with these other folks. And maybe she's just doing it with herself because she's just that amazing as a writer. But this feels like what it means to craft a really interesting story not just using tropes of what it means to be a teenager, but what it means to see a plethora of teenage relationships, not just one. The movie's yeah. called Lady Bird, but it should be called Lady Bird and Company. Because <laughs> it's I like that. Because it is about these other folks too. They don't have as much of a significant impact on the narrative as she does because she's the focal point, but they still have an impact. And they're not just collateral damage for her in her story, which I think is fantastic. And I think that Gerwig is doing such an amazing thing by caring for these other characters, by caring for Kyle, caring for Danny in a way that we don't see a lot in movies that yeah. are centered around one character. The thing that stuck out to me so much about Kyle this time around was that he drops a single line of dialogue at one point where he says something about how he's trying to make his dad happy by going to the college his dad wants. And I was like, man, like you would blink and miss that line, but it's so important for his character and how it relates to ladybird because she's dealing with this conflict of where to go to college and her parents want her to go to a certain college and he's showing her what it's like to be a person living with the choice of trying to make your parent happy and she sees that and i think it gives her a little bit of a push in her decision making as well like i can't end up like that and only be doing it for their reasons. You know, I have to be able to own that myself. And 
he looks like the kind of guy who just does his own thing no matter what. But she learns in that moment that even he, despite his outward appearance, is doing something his parents want him to do. Um, and I think so there's so many so much value that can come from that in the way that she progresses afterwards. And yeah, I mean, it, it, they are really, really great supporting characters. For sure. Something you mentioned earlier that, honestly, as I was reading through the notes to prep for the episode, I didn't see this as much, and I'm glad you brought it up. It's that idea of selfishness. Ladybird is a selfish character. And we want to root for you. I mean, like, that is, that's almost a fatal flaw of hers. And it makes me wonder why. Beyond just the fact that she is a teenager. Cause teenagers, people, I mean, let's just call it what it is. People are selfish by nature and teenagers are probably a great little personification of that because of where they are in life. But are there any other circumstances, any other things that you see that contribute to her selfishness? Um, you know, I think that potentially we could read into this something about the fact that her mom took in Shelly after her quote parents freaked out about premarital sex or whatever. So we learn that her mom has devoted attention to that. Maybe her mom hasn't given her as much attention as she wanted. I really don't think though that the point is to know how she became who she was because we're, we're dropped into this story at a point in time. It doesn't really go into Ladybird's backstory and give us a whole bunch of information about how she became who she became. It's just a character trait that she has. So I personally didn't think a lot about how she got that way. I just thought about it as, okay, this is where she is right now. And it's a matter of her learning to recognize that and then understand how to maybe not be that way as much in the future. Okay. So not to jump to the end of the movie, but let's jump to the end of the movie. I guess we're jumping to the end of the movie. (laughs) It's an interesting ending. It ends with a phone call to a voicemail. And it leaves us really with tension. It leaves us with a sense of, is she going to be okay? And I kind of wondered, does that selfishness resolve? Does she get redemption from that character trait? Does she become selfless at that point? Or is she just on this path of this is just who she is and she's just going to have to deal with it in her next season of life. Because I personally didn't feel like there was redemption or there was resolution to that part of her character. I felt like there was remorse. I felt like she felt bad, just like she felt bad with Jenna saying, Hey, I'm sorry I lied. But it was really more of a not I'm sorry, but I'm sorry I got caught that kind of attitude. And I don't know. I'm not I'm not pessimistic about it. I just don't know if she really she really got to that place where she feels not only remorse, but I would say repentance where her life is changing now because she sees her parents in a different way or she sees her life in a different way. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know that the point is for us to see her make a 180, but I think she does learn 
how to give of herself a little more. And it does come there at the end. You know, that conversation she, she has on the voicemail to her mom. She says, you know, did you feel emotional the first time you drove in Sacramento? I did. And I wanted to tell you, but we weren't really talking when it happened. All those bins I've known my whole life and storage and the whole thing. I wanted to tell you, I love you. Thank you. I'm, and she says, thank you again. So it, it plays into two things. The nostalgia of growing up and reminiscing about this place and having this long lasting impact on you as you move forward. But I think we also see in that moment a little bit of her reaching out to give a peace offering in a sense. Like I think she does still want something out of that conversation that she's calling her mom for, but she is also trying to mend the the bridge because she realizes man, I'm thinking about home and I'm thinking about my mom and all of these things that my mom did for me and the way that my life was with all of this support and this focus. And even if I didn't realize it at the time, I need to let her know that. And, and so I feel like she makes a sort of a change um, when she, and then also when she goes back to Julie as well, I think that it's a really beautiful thing there. But I don't think it's a 180 because she's still getting value out of that. Like it's still her going to prom with somebody, right? So everything that's happening in Lady Bird's life, she's still benefiting from. So I don't think it's about her making a 180. It's about her just being able to draw attention to the fact that maybe other people exist and she sometimes can't be the only one that decisions are made for. So this is where I think the ending itself is really good for me is the fact that she finishes the conversation. She says, thank you. I'm thank you. She hangs up the phone. And if you look at her facial expression, it's not one of, there's not really a smile. There's just a, okay, here I am in New York by myself. This is again my interpretation. And then it cuts to black. And then the credits roll. And we're left with this moment of like, is she going to be okay? But I don't know if that's the question we need to be asking. To me, Aaron, I think this is the moment where she feels like, okay, I've got to start making decisions on my own. I can't be in conversation. This isn't a chance for me to be in conversation with my mom where she's going to disagree with me because I know that script. I know how to have conflict with my mom. I know how to be in good graces with my dad. I know how to talk to my best friend. I know how to do these other things. She's in New York. She's just had like the worst night of her life waking up in a hospital because she had her stomach pumped and she's feeling not only like crap from all the alcohol, but she's like, what did I do? The fact that she wakes up alone is huge. That's a, such a, just a poignant visual where she wakes up in a hospital bed and she looks at the armband and it doesn't have her name on it. It's got Christine on it. Yep. The, the name her mom gave her. And of course that, I think that prompts her to, to make the phone call. But I think that moment where she hangs up the phone and it cuts to black without really seeing how she feels leaves us with a sense of, Life's real now. It's not just that she's in college. It's just that she does not have anybody to fall back on. She doesn't have any excuses now. The decisions that she makes are the decisions that are made 
because of her, not because of her mom, not because of her dad, not because of her best friend or anybody else. And I think that's consistent with what Gerwig is doing throughout the narrative is it's leading her to this, to this point where she says, okay, I've got to make this happen. It's on me. No excuses. I don't want a ladybird too. what happens in college, but I think it leaves room for interpretation to say, this is the beginning of a path to redemption for her to understand what it means to be an adult and maybe to see a world beyond her own world, to see a perspective from her mom or from somebody else. I don't know, but I think that it's, the lack of resolution for me is a good resolution for the movie for me. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. I mean, I love how it ends. I, I, I absolutely love the ambiguity of what's going to happen to her after this. I, it doesn't matter. It absolutely doesn't matter to me because it's slice of life stuff. And I love the slice of life aspect of the storytelling and it, and it taking us from a journey of where she starts at point A and she gets to point B. It doesn't have to be point Z the end and the finale of her life and, and who she's going to be for the majority of her years or whatever. It's just slight changes in her personality over the course of a senior year and how all of these relationships and her parents affected her and helped shape the changes that she's experiencing and all within the bubble of being a love letter to our memories of our experiences in high school and for Greta Gerwig at a specific location in the United States. Right. Well, before we get into our connecting points, I wanted to bring up one scene that was my close runner up, almost my connecting point, the ACP, I guess we could call it that, the almost connecting point, since we have those. And it's the conversation that she's having with the sister about her essay. And the sister's saying, I can see you love Sacramento. And she's like, what are you talking about? And she said, you write about it so poignantly. And there's a there's a line in here where she says, sure, I guess I pay attention with regards to how she sees the city. And uh, Sister Sarah Joan, is, uh, the character's name, I think, she says, don't you think maybe they are the same thing, love and attention? And that's really part of where my one word takeaway came from, the idea of attention, love and attention. I feel like there's some dichotomy there there's some weird kind of they both are like complementary and yet contradictory and i wanted to kind of get your thoughts on what you thought that might mean well for a long period of my life i thought love was a feeling i thought love was a reaction and a gut instinct and it was all about how i got giddy inside and it took a long time into my 20s and lots of mistakes <laughs> into my life before I started to realize and look at love in a much different way, which was love as a verb, as DC Talk would say. Um, love is in action, essentially, I believe. And because love is in action and love is a choice that I believe we make on a reoccurring basis that goes way beyond a butterfly in the stomach or an appealing uh, physical appearance to our eye or any of the sort. It's something you can manufacture on your own. You can choose to create love if you want to. Um, and I think one of the 
number one ways that love manifests itself through action is attention. It really is. And a lot of people may not need that as much as others. I believe it is a love language um, to an extent. But when you put your attention on something, it shows value. And we can use that to substitute the word love. What you spend your money on shows what you love, what your attention, what your efforts um, and your productivity and your your brain space, your attention all goes to is what you care about the most. So I get it. And I think in this moment, it's helping Ladybird not only realize how much she cares about her city and the place that she is in, despite her, you know, constant efforts to get away from it, but also helps her understand Julie and her mother in a much better light because those people have always given her attention and she starts to understand, oh, maybe that means they love me. Maybe they're showing me love by always giving me attention. And it doesn't have to be the attention that I necessarily want as in they're agreeing with me or it's perfect for me in the moment. But my goodness, these people have always been there for me. That's a form of them expressing how they love me. So that's kind of where I approach this from. And I think they are very much synonymous in the way that this movie portrays them and also just in reality for most folks. Yeah, I would definitely agree. I I think that when you make that comparison of how she sees Sacramento and how she almost subconsciously just memorizes the streets and the bends, as she mentioned in that last conversation, and saying that she does pay attention, she thinks... There is a translation that attention leads to love. And you're right. Attention doesn't have to necessarily be affection or it doesn't have to translate to affection. And that really kind of bleeds into my connecting point, which is the scene just after that. And Ladybird's trying on a dress. And it feels like just another conversation between her and her mom where it's just contention after contention after contention. And her mom is giving her critiques about the dress. She lady bird says she feels fat in this and her mom without having any kind of sympathy says, well, maybe it was that pasta you ate for lunch. And it's, I mean, it's hilarious. It's absolutely hysterical, but it's just almost wrong. It's like, come on, have a little, have a little sympathy for your daughter, but that's not consistent with who she is. She hasn't been that way throughout the entire film. And then you have, Ladybird comes out or she, she, she shouldn't come out yet, but she says, I just wish that you liked me. And it was interesting because her mom says, of course I love you. And she says, no, I wish that you liked me. And man, that hits hard. And I think that in that moment, her mom says, wow, maybe the attention, maybe the critiques that I'm giving my daughter, they might be honest but they're not giving her what she needs. And so maybe the attention that I'm giving her is coming with bluntness instead of a sense of grace. As you mentioned earlier, it's more truth than anything else. And maybe there's a sense of balance. Um, In our faith, it's talked a lot about how grace and truth mix with each other. And sometimes they feel like they're worlds apart where you have, I'm being too too graceful here. I need to kind of bring it back and 
give more truth and vice versa, where in truth, grace and truth live in the same house. They complement each other. And I feel like in that moment, her mom had this revelation that grace and truth for her daughter need to coexist. They don't need to be in tension. And I think when, when she comes out, it's so great. She comes out and her mom looks at her and she, and she basically goes, wow. Or as I said to my wife, when I saw her dress last night, holy crap, she didn't say that. That's what I said. But I feel like that's kind of what her mom saw in Lady Bird. Not that her dress was amazing, but she saw her daughter for the first time as someone who needed to be told that she was valued. Even though she knew she was and mm-hmm. all the things that she was doing to help Lady Bird, to protect her, that moment, I think, articulated what she was trying to say maybe for years, which is, I love you no matter what. You are beautiful. And that has never been uh, dissuaded. This is, that has never been in dispute. But I think in that moment, she needed to say it. And I think that started something with both of them where they could begin to open up. I don't know that the conversations that happened after that between her and her mom indirectly or directly would have been able to happen without that moment. And it, it's just really beautiful. Yeah, it really is. And it it is, man. I, I love this movie and I love those small moments that aren't overplayed. They're given just enough attention, i.e. love, um, to make them reflect what they need to. And those, those small moments in time that shape us as we're growing up and that help define and, and form the relationships with our parents and with other people. And in this specific case with your mom, that you take with you the rest of your life. Like, I bet you Lady Bird will remember that. And today's Mother's Day, and we're celebrating our moms, uh, both ones that are here and ones that are unfortunately not. But those are the kind of things you remember when you talk about the stories of Mother's Day and you're, you're sharing with other people. They, oh, I remember that time that my mom absolutely loved my prom dress, right? Like, that's it. So, yeah, I, I think that's that's wonderful, man. Well, what about you? What was your connecting point? This is going to sound weird. Luckily, everybody's seen this movie. I, I was thinking about this and how when I mentioned what my connecting point is, it would be really awkward if nobody, if somebody had not seen the movie. And I was like, well, my connecting point is the sex scene. <laughs> I could say people would immediately like make some bad, um, you know, misrepresented opinions about me based on that phrase. But my connecting point is Lady Bird losing her virginity. The sex scene happens right after her breakup with her friend Jenna, you know, due to where she lives and her lying about it, like we talked about. Um, and Jenna specifically says in that scene, she'll see Lady Bird around if she's still Kyle's girlfriend, which it gives me the impression that this following scene with Lady Bird losing her virginity to Kyle is an intentional act of her trying to cement her place in that world. I feel like there's a reason that it takes place right after Jenna says that because it, it seems like a progression that Lady Bird would, would go after that in order to make sure that she doesn't lose that relationship with Kyle and lose the friendship with Jenna and that world she's created for herself. 
things to note about this scene, though, are how accurately awkward it is. I mean, without going into detail here, my first time was absolutely not something worth writing home about. Um, but it was definitely memorable in that train wreck kind of way, also. She's still wearing her bra. He climaxes super fast, well before she gets any pleasure from it. It is like so many people who have sex early in their lives, specifically in high school, experience that first time or throughout if they have sex multiple times. It's made funny because she gets a nosebleed during it. But the follow-on conversation is her expressing that she's happy because they lost their virginity to each other. And Kyle, who, quote, hasn't lied in two years, explains that he is not a virgin. And when pressed, he guesses it's been about six people that he's slept with prior to Ladybird. He tells her, you're getting mad about something that I had no control over. Because she created this experience differently in her head. And to an extent, Kyle is correct. But then he comes with this zinger. He says, you're going to have so much unspecial sex in your life. As justification for his lack of investment in this experience that they just had together. And dude, that line kills me. It just hurts my heart in so many ways. Because it is so real. High school kids have sex at such a young age, and this is how it's largely treated. It's not special. It's devoid of meaning. It's devoid of long-term value. And whether you are someone that believes sex should be reserved for a husband and a wife because of your faith or just because of your morals or not, you can't deny that Sexual intercourse is an intimate giving of a piece of oneself to someone else. And I, I hate seeing it treated so flippantly. Um, and that comes from a place of, of, of going through it, you know, and watch and, and knowing the impact on my own life and seeing the impact of this on others I know. Clearly it hurts Ladybird in this moment. And I just wish for her that she could take it back. But that's the thing, man. Once once you've done it, you can't take it back. It's happened. It, it will. For, you can only lose your virginity one time. You can never repeat that. Um, and it ultimately brings her back to her mom's arms, where she cries because, in a moment of needing comfort, despite their differences and, and animosity and inability to communicate, she knows that her mom will always be a safe place for her. And someone that, I'm not going to cry again, I did last week. And someone that cares about her no matter what she puts forth with this, you know, in their, in their arguments. So in, in that moment, she goes to me from a girl trying to force her way into womanhood back to a child needing parental love and support. And it's powerful. It's moving. It's a wonderful cautionary tale, in my opinion. It scares me to death because I have a teenage daughter, and I just pray and pray and pray every night that she doesn't ever experience this. Um, and so, yeah, it was just – it's a very impactful emotional moment for me in the movie, and I think it was handled really, really well by Greta Gerwig. I think so, too. And that moment afterwards puts – 
into perspective the fact that somewhere deep inside of her character, she trusted her mom. Yes. She yes. absolutely knew that she could lean into her and just be held, right? And to me, through all the angst, through all the tension, through all the disagreements, that is something that Gerwig stays constant throughout the narrative is that there's always someone, in this case her mom, that will not change how deeply she cares about her daughter. It may be voiced in a different way. It may look a different way. But in the moments that matter to her, in the moments that matter the most vulnerable, she can be a child. She can be that girl that her mom loves deeply and will always love no matter what happens, even if she moves to New York and ends up in a hospital. <laughs> so Absolutely. great connecting point. Great Thank connecting you. point. And that brings us to the end of another episode of Feelin' Film. Tissues ready? Okay, here we go. <laughs> this week, be sure to keep your ears peeled for more content sprinkled throughout the week, starting with another mini-sode on the latest installment of Game of Thrones, followed by a new FF+. And then we are back next week covering a movie from last year that didn't get a chance to make the schedule, Bumblebee, starring another teen angst girl, Haley Steinfeld. <laughs> and I haven't seen it yet. I've held off on seeing it for the What? Conference. Are you serious? No, no. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. So You were I... so adamant about covering it that I thought for sure you must have seen it and loved it because I know you're going to love it. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I was excited about seeing it in the theater and missed it. And so not getting a chance to. I had a chance to on the trip. To Canada, I was like, no, I'm going to hold off because I want to okay. see it. I want to see it and be fresh and all that kind of stuff. So, Excellent. so yeah, we're definitely excited about that one. <laughs> Aaron, man, thank you for another great conversation, and uh, we'll talk soon. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at FeelinFilm, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places and would love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling film.